Jesus is alive. He's on the throne of heaven. We celebrate this great day that uh, that the resurrection story is is the story of the greatest triumph in history. Man separated from God through our sin. And then what does God do about it? He sends his only son to the earth to become one of us, to die for us, defeat death for us. And now he is alive and he has risen. What an awesome day to be alive and to celebrate and to worship the King of Kings. Well, let's pray today as we get into this. And uh, I, I pray this a blessing to you today. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence, God, that uh, we can worship you. Thank you that your presence is already here. And Lord, we are asking once again that you would illuminate the word of God to us. Lord, you have so much to say through your word, and I pray, God, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to respond, Lord God. I pray that we would not just hear it, but it would transform us, that would affect the way we live, that, Lord, we would go from just merely head knowledge to heart transformation. Lord, we thank you that you are alive, that you are alive, in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Jesus that came and became one of us. He was born a baby, and that's the day we celebrate Christmas. And, you know, they they say the three most attended services of the year are Christmas, Easter, and what's the third? Mother's Day. So uh, mom, mom wants her kids to go to church. So, you know, we celebrate Christmas where Jesus comes and becomes one of us. And it's interesting that the plan of God was for him to become a human being, to endure everything that we endure. That God in his sovereignty, you know, didn't just beam Jesus down as a man. You know, if they had the beaming technology in the first century, you know, and he beams down and then he just dies on the cross. I mean, that would still be powerful. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. If he, if, he, if he just came down just to die for us, that would be very powerful. But there's something significant about the plan that the Father had, that he came and became a baby. One of us grew up, went through all of the challenges. The Hebrew says, that this, says this about him, that he was tempted and tested as all men are, yet without sin. And so he had to live for us. He lived a life for us, and he endured temptation. We have the enemy coming in that, you know, it's one of the stories in the Bible that the enemy comes to him and tries to tempt him, to try to test him. And he maintains his purity and his holiness for us because he became the spotless, sinless Lamb of God who died for us. And so he did live for us. Somebody's happy. We got a runner. Hey, Dad, in the back there. Whoa, and he's down. Don't you love the boldness of kids? He could really care less at what I'm doing. You know, it's just like, whatever. I love kids. They, 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 keep, us, they keep things lively, don't they? I remember working in Gap in Children's Church, and... Uh, 
If you didn't want your kids to tell the news, you better make sure they didn't get the news in the first place. Let me just tell you that. I think everybody was nicer to us when we were doing children's church than any other time. You know, it's just like, whatever you heard from my kid, keep that under wraps, please. So, so Jesus lived for us, and then as we remember his death, he literally took the sins of the world upon himself through the punishment that he received through the, the scourging and the cross. And I know that we say this, and I know that we're reminded of this, but I, I don't want us to, 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 to lose the significance and the power of this. If it was just a physical death that he took, that would have been brutal. I mean, it was awful what he went through. And he endured it for you and for me. And whatever you do with Jesus today, wherever you're at with him in relationship, and you know, maybe you're, you've been a believer a long time, maybe you're searching, maybe you are in a place of just really a, a place of deadness or confusion in your own life, whatever you're, the place you're in, you need to know that the sacrifice that Jesus made was for you. And if it would have been just the physical punishment, that would have been horrible enough. But the Bible says that he bore our sins. He literally took our sins, our shame, our guilt, our addictions, our lying, our lust, our rage, our selfishness, our immorality upon himself. He bore it in his body. Isn't that hard to get your head around? More than just giving up his life, he bore our sins. He became sin itself. That was why on the, on the cross, it, it, the Bible says that it got dark as night. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there was a, there, in, in, he was God, but he was fully man. And we see the humanity of his cry at that moment where the Father cannot come into contact with sin. See, sin separates us from God. When Adam and Eve chose sinfulness, we were heirs of sin, all of us. And so a holy God can't come in contact with sin. And so as his son bore sin, he had to look away. And for that moment in time, Jesus felt separation from God. He literally took hell upon himself, and he bore our sins. And again, that's not make-believe. That's very real. That's very true. And he did it for more than just being a religious thing. This is not a religion, a, religi a religious holiday that we just celebrate today. This is about the king of the ages dying for us and bearing our sin. But today we celebrate that he did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, defeating death, rising in the greatest triumph and victory ever known and you know why he did it all all of it he did because he desired a relationship with you and me that he wanted us to be close to himself and the only way that we could have relationship with the father was the son becoming our advocate the son laying down his life so that we would have life abundantly and it's not just life here on the earth. It's not just a contentment and a joy and peace that we have in Christ here. The promise is eternal. 
He paid it all so that we could have it all. I like that deal, if, just in case you're wondering. Because those without Christ, what they're going to do, what, what, the, what, what, the, what the judgment of humanity is going to be, and a lot of people wrestle with this whole thing with God, and we are seeing in our day, in our culture, where people are having a hard time getting their, their mind and their heart around, well, if God is so loving, and if God cares, and if God is so tender toward people, then why in the world would He ever judge humanity and, uh, and, and that they would be eternally separated in a place called hell and, uh, you know, ultimate eternal torment and judgment? My answer is this. Jesus paid it all. Paid in full. When He said it is finished on the cross, it meant paid in full. For those that would just simply surrender and give their lives to him, it's been paid in full. He paid it all. We get it all. For those that will be eternally separated, it's simply this. They say, we reject your payment for us, Jesus. I'm going to do this on my own, and I'm going to see what happens, and I'm going to take on the consequences of my own sin. And when you reject the sacrifice of Jesus... You take your own sacrifice upon your own hands. And so God just simply gives you what you choose. God is loving. He is just. And it was in His justice. If you have a problem thinking about the justice of God, the severity of God, look at the cross. Look at the cross. You see His justice because something had to die because of sinfulness. And so He sent His only Son that should make us love Jesus so much more. In Isaiah 53, it, it, it's one of the most troubling passages if you ever read it. And if you've read it through the, 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 this Good Friday and Easter season, there's a portion in there that says it was the Father's good pleasure to crush him. Doesn't that sound sadistic? It was the Father's good pleasure to crush him. But you see his intense passionate love for humanity that God says I will do whatever it takes to have people near me because that was the original intent is to have people near him and close to his heart thank you Jesus today I want to look at three encounters um, today's message is an after Easter encounter that was just the intro so I won't even charge you for that that was free but today I want, to, uh, I want to look at three encounters that Jesus had with some of his followers after he rose from the dead, after the resurrection. And it's interesting because these, these encounters are with people that are very close to him. You know, again, we see Jesus born, we see him live this life, and we only have really, before, before his ministry, before the Gospels, we only have a few snapshots. You know, you have his birth... 12 years old, he's in the temple. Next thing you know, he's 30 years old and he's doing his public ministry and, and, and he does his public ministry for three years. Isn't that amazing? Of the sovereignty of God? Wouldn't, you know, if we were God, which we're not, wouldn't you think that, man, we need to get him in ministry at 10 years old? We just need to work him hard before he dies. And there's something about the sovereignty of God that he spent three years pouring his life into the disciples and his followers that they would be carriers of the kingdom after he left. And so I want to look at three encounters after Easter encounters with people that were very close to him 
people that were his followers, where they experienced the risen Christ. And in these encounters, I believe we're going to see a lot of ourselves. That, that, that's why we have the disciples and the followers of Jesus is because when we see their brokenness and their doubts and their pains, we see a lot of ourselves in there. Thank God for those guys. It helps me feel like I'm qualified. But I, I believe we're going to see some of ourselves, and I believe that God wants to speak to our hearts today through these stories, through these experiences. And I'll be jumping around in Scripture a little bit, so just stay with me. But before we, before we get to the stories, I, I, I want to give you a little backstory here. Everybody, you know, you know what's kind of happened before. Jesus has been crucified. His followers are devastated. Because in, in the Gospels, you have different times where Jesus is talking to his disciples and his followers, and he's, he's expressing to them that you know, he's going to have to suffer many things, and he, he will every once in a while allude to the crucifixion that uh, you know, the Son of Man has to go to Jerusalem, and he's gonna, there's going to be you know, given to the hands of sinners, and you know, they just can't get their minds around what he's talking about. And so he's been crucified, he is dead, his followers are devastated. And so all this talk about suffering and dying and, you know, they were, they were hoping that he wasn't really talking. Maybe, maybe he's not talking about real dying and real suffering. Maybe it's just another metaphor or like a, you know, maybe it's just a, a, another parable that he's trying to get us to grab a hold of something else. Maybe it's not really dying and really suffering. You know, if you were ever hoping for a metaphor, this would be the time when he's talking about it. And you're almost, you can see the disciples going, I don't think he's talking about really dying. Just relax. I think the suffering is just, you know, a metaphor of some kind. And you see that, and that is consistent with how, that they, how they lived. They had seen him arrested. When, they, when he was arrested in the garden, they fled, which, you know, there was that passage that says they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And this was a prophecy about what happened. They came to the garden to arrest him. Judas betrays him, and these boys scatter. They just thought it wasn't going to go down like this. You know, they're thinking he's the victorious. He's the king of kings. We know that he's the Messiah. You know, he's going to take over sometime, and we're going to be on his team. We're going to be on the winning team. And they're just waiting in that three-year period. You know, they're with him, and they're just waiting for him to unleash the raw power that he has in himself to take over. And they're waiting right in the, the wings to say, we're on his team, and we're here. And so none of this is going down like that they have thought or hoped. Now they're in shock. They've seen him marred and brutalized beyond recognition. There's a prophet that says he was, he was beyond recognition. The, 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 the scourging and the, and, and the punching of the face and the mocking... You know, all of this stuff that was on his human body, he was beyond recognition, and they had seen it all happen. They see him go to the cross, and they had fled, and now they're, they're hiding out, and they're, I mean, it, it was just the worst case scenario. So I'm going to be in Mark 16 first to, to continue to set up the story. Listen to this, verse 9. Mark 16, verse 9. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, 
The first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. And here you have them. They, they are grieving. They are weeping. They are, they are in absolute trauma and shock. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they rose up with faith and they were so happy and they were cheering. Does it say that? No, it says they didn't believe her. I've just seen Jesus. He is alive. And they're like, no. Afterward, he appeared in two different form, uh, in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Here he has talked to them about suffering and death, but he's also told them that he will rise from the dead. They have two accounts and they don't believe. There's no way. There's no way it could happen. We saw what happened. We saw what he endured. We saw all of this stuff unfold. How in the world could he be alive? There's absolutely no way. Have you ever been that in a place where you just, I, I can't even get my, there's no way that this can be true. The Lord speaks something to your heart or the revelation of God in your spirit. And you're just like, there's no way. They didn't want to consider that he was literally going to die. Instead of him being in charge and Lord of their lives, they wanted their relationship to be a ticket to influence. They wanted him to do it the way they had planned it out. This was why they were devastated. This is why they just couldn't believe this was happening. They wanted him to do it the way they had it planned. To fit him, to conform him into the way of, 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 of their lives because he was a ticket to influence for them. We have a couple encounters where Peter says to Jesus, when Jesus is talking about it, he said, I'm going I'm to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things. And Peter pulls him off to the side and says, Lord, you're not going to die. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was saying, Lord, I've got a plan for your life. If you'll do it the way I have it planned, we've got it all mapped out. Me and the other guys, we've, we've, got, a, we've got a great plan going here. If you'll just do it the way we do it, man, it'll go well with us. Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. You have, the, uh, you have the mindset of man instead of the mindset of God. We see James and John arguing about, you know, Jesus talking about suffering and dying. I mean, this is another place where he's talking about suffering and dying. And they begin to ask him, uh, Lord, can we sit on your right and your left uh, in the kingdom? Another place... They were asking Jesus, they said, if a city doesn't, you know, this is James and John, if, a, if this city that we go to, if they, if they reject the, the good news, should we call fire down from heaven on them? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. The reason why these guys were so devastated about what was going on, the reason why they could not believe that he had risen from the dead is because none of the other stuff had worked out either. 
They had a plan for his life. Work it out the way we want you to work it out. And then we're in. And here's Mary. Here's these two followers that come. He's alive, and they did not believe them. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he master of your life? When you come before him, do you have the plan and you want him to endorse you? Do you tell him what he's going to be doing for you? Or do you submit your life and say, Lord, whatever you want, your will be done? They were devastated. Have you ever lived that way where you know the best plan for your life and Jesus can help you get there? Instead of him being in control and you're in a place of full surrender, he's just an add-on whenever you need him. Lord, I'm hitting some rough area in my life now. Now I need you. And Jesus is saying about, what about those times where you feel like you don't need me? Something dies. Hope is gone. We're devastated that he did not do it the way we wanted him to. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Were you asking God questions? I don't understand what's going on in my life, and I thought this and this was going to happen, and now we're here in this place, and you are devastated, and you can relate to these disciples who are sitting there, and they are just in complete devastation saying, what happened? And then somebody comes along and says, he's alive. He, he's alive. And they said, oh, no, there's no way I can believe that. So if he is alive, this, all this other stuff wouldn't happen. But that was his plan. Do you see his plan only when it's good, or do you see him in control and sovereign even when things and circumstances aren't good? We cannot live our life based on our circumstances. We have to live our life that he is alive. Because we say that on this Easter morning that he is alive, but my question is this, is he alive in you? Is the life of the risen Savior alive in you? Because if you're dead on the inside, something's going on with your relationship with him because it's not that he's dead, he's very much alive. And he wants to come and infuse life to you not based on circumstances, but because he is the one who is alive. Let me say this. The resurrection was more than an event. It is a man, Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? The resurrection was more than an event. It is the man, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. If you want life, you need the risen Savior inside you. Even when things aren't going your way, even when you feel devastated, even when you feel lost, even when you feel like he's a million miles away, you need to believe that the risen Savior is inside, Lord. You are alive in me. And they had, a, they had such a hard time wrapping their, their mind around, you know, how can he be alive? He's beyond repair. He's been marred beyond recognition. He's beyond help. There's no way that he could be alive. Do you have a situation like that in your life today? It's beyond repair. There's no way. There's nothing that anyone can do about it. And Jesus is right at the door saying, I want to come in and I want to give you life.
Luke 24, if you want to turn there. This is the first encounter. Because we're going to see those, these two guys that even... We, we, we just got a, a glimpse of their lives in that passage where it says these, these two followers had an encounter with the risen Christ, but it's interesting because at first, they didn't even recognize Him. And again, these are not two of the main core disciples, but these are two followers of Jesus. They are close followers. Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that, that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Isn't that an interesting passage there, that God kept them from recognizing him? Because you know what? Their hearts were, they just didn't believe, they could not get their head around that he was alive. And so they had already made up their mind, there's no way he can be alive. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things that have happened here the last few, th- few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Listen to verse 21. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then they give the report that some women from their group and followers were at the tomb, and they gave this amazing report that he had risen. And it makes you wonder why these guys didn't believe that, because they were all devastated and in shock, and they couldn't believe it. So Jesus goes on, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, he kind of explains gives them kind of a, a little history lesson about the things that are happening, you know, from, from Moses' time, the prophecies. And so then verse 28, let's pick up the story. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them as they sat down to eat. Let's look at this. I love this passage. He took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open. They recognized him at the moment. At that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And so here you have these two guys. They're walking along. Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. And he's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you know, you must be the only one in Israel, you know, Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on. And Jesus was handed over and condemned to die. And and so they're, they're having this, this story with him, and they get back, and they invite him to stay, and, and you notice when their eyes are open, he replays this moment where he took the bread and he broke it. Remember what we call the Last Supper, where he said, this is my body broken for you? And it says their eyes were open. It says, didn't our hearts burn? There was something different about this guy, but we just could not get our minds around that he was alive. Verse 21, you hear their words, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. In other words, we are convinced that he's not because we saw what went down. We saw him scourged and beaten and hung on a cross. We were were hoping that he was, but we're convinced that he's not. He didn't come through like we thought. See, because the Messiah 
He's going he's gonna to become the conquering king and he's going to come and take over and he's going to take up his sword and we're all going to follow him and we're all going to be in this victorious triumph and, and he's not going to be killed by human beings. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. In other words, but we knew he wasn't. And Jesus rebukes them. In verses 25, 26, you said, you find it so hard to believe. See, they had the risen Christ right there in front of them, but they did not recognize him. Jesus is right there, and they do not recognize him. And Jesus says in 25, 26, you find it so hard to believe. The greatest way that our faith is shattered is when we take control and we put the parameters on how Jesus is supposed to work or do things in us and our lives. Then when he doesn't, we're hopeless. Where's our hope? What is our hope in today? When our hope is in the wrong thing or our circumstances getting better, Jesus can be standing right there and we miss him entirely. Have you ever been there? I shared this story a while back and it bears repeating because I walked through it very clearly. When we were living out east and uh, we, we were just kind of, we were in a very, very painful place in our lives and just really groaning day to day, trying to figure out what in the world God was doing in our lives and uh, things weren't mapping out like we thought they were. And, uh, you know, we're, at, we're in Tennessee at this time and, and it is just, it is just, it's painful. I can't, I can't describe, you, you know, if you've been there, you understand what I'm saying. And I, I'm not trying to compare my pain to someone else's pain. It was just a very hard season for us. And we're asking God, what are you doing? What are you doing through us? We thought this and this and this and this is happening and I can't, even, I can't even figure out what's going on. And I tell people this laughingly now. It wasn't funny at the time, but I was just glad that I was saved. I've got Jesus in my heart. That's about all I know right now. And so many mornings I was getting up to go to the church and I would pray early in the morning just seeking God and and his presence was so wonderful. I mean, I would have times where just tears would come and the presence of God was just so real. And it's amazing how carnal you can get very quickly. Because I'd come back home and Athena would see and she's like, man, did God speak anything? I'm like, not a word. Didn't say a word. It was real sweet, but he didn't say anything specific. I can relate to this where you have Jesus right there, but he's not answering me. He's not telling me what I want to hear. He's not mapping it all out for me, and so that I'm severely disappointed in him. And yet, he's standing there wrapping his arms around me, just saying, I I'm here right now. It's not intended for you to have all the answers right now. My sovereignty, in fact, is that you don't have all the answers right now, that you just have me. And I have the risen Christ right there embracing me and I walk home five minutes after being in tears and say, I didn't hear a thing. Isn't that funny? What's our hope in today? He is alive. Is he alive in you? He is right there. Find him. He is the hope that you're looking for. Second encounter, John 20. John chapter 20, we're going to be in verse 24. 
Jesus has already shown himself to the other disciples. He's, been, he's risen from the dead. He's shown himself to the other disciples, but one of his boys is not there the time that he first shows up is this Thomas. This is where we get, you know, you heard the word doubting Thomas. It's very real. Jesus reveals himself to the other disciples and uh, and then, then, he, then, then there's this encounter with, with Thomas, verse 24 of John 20. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Didymus means twin. Um, a lot of theologians believe that he had probably a twin, um, the reason why they called him that. Was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. Okay, this is the guys that he's been in ministry with. These guys have shared life together for three years. They're the ones, I mean, they're, all of them are having doubts. You know, we, we just see that they're all devastated, and they don't, none of them believe the first reports that he's alive. And so now we have the others said, we have seen the Lord, but here's Thomas, you know, his, the trustworthiness of the friend. Um, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thank you, Thomas, for your vote of confidence for all your friends. Verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, I loved that, um, even when the doors are closed and locked, because these guys were in hiding. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and took, look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound of my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who was Jesus talking about? He's talking about us. That we don't get to see him in the flesh. But he said, more blessed are those who don't see yet believe. Thomas is one of the 12. And you hear him say, I won't believe unless these conditions are met for me. I want to see his hands. I want to, see, I want to put my, hand, my, my, my finger on the side where he, was, where he was stabbed with the spear. I'm not going to believe unless this, 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 and this happen. And we see him putting conditions on Jesus. But you know, they had all lived that way. They had put their conditions, they had put their parameters on him. Unless he does this for me, I won't believe him. I'm not going to just take your word for it. I'm not going to just believe it. I don't care if you are my brothers. I'm not going to believe it unless there's some conditions that are met for me. Have you ever been there? I'll believe it. I'll be happy if. I will be peaceful if these conditions are met. I will be content if these conditions are met. I will serve him if he does this, this, and this for me. And we put our conditions on Jesus. Do you find yourself in the story of Thomas where he says, I won't believe unless this happens? And Jesus, a lot of times we see this as this sweet picture of Jesus and Thomas. Jesus rebukes him 
sternly. And he says, don't be faithless any longer. If you're wondering, that's not a sweet little thing that he said to Thomas. You, he was saying, here's Thomas, you are, you've been faithless. And he allowed him to. He said, here, touch my hands. I'll let you do that. And he touches his hands, he touches his side, and he says, stop being faithless. And Thomas hits his knees in an act of worship and says, my Lord and my God. And I can only imagine what was really going on in his heart. Basically, I'm so sorry that I didn't trust you at your word. Forgive me for being faithless. And Jesus gives this lesson. He said, you know, yeah, you, 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 you're, you're blessed because you've seen and believed, but more blessed for those who don't see and will yet believe. Those who will not put conditions on my love for them. Those who will not put conditions on their relationship with me. That will say, Jesus, no matter what, no matter what, I don't care what happens in this life, no matter what, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be fully devoted to you. Do we put conditions on our relationship with him? Jesus was saying, I'm risen, I'm alive. Believe, stop being faithless. Am I alive only when your circumstances are good? Because isn't it easy to worship him when things are going well? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be thankful, but we should be thankful in all things. But sometimes we, we equate the life of Jesus in and out of our circumstances. Today he's dead. All right, today he's alive. Things are going well. Okay, he's dead. He's alive. No, he is alive all the time. Is he alive in you? Third encounter. I'm going to read the first text, and then I'm going to go into the third encounter, and we're going to close with this. Look at the end of John chapter 20. I love how this ends here. Verses 30 and 31. Wouldn't this be a great ending to the story? You could take these two verses and say, you know, you have a conclusion here. Listen to this. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. Bah! You know, I mean, you know, something like that. <laughs> the end. But yet there's another chapter. The text sounds like a great ending to the story. But what about Peter's restoration? Remember Peter, because the, this is the next encounter. Here's Peter, who was one of his very, very closest friends. Jesus had many followers, 12 disciples, and really three that were very, very close to him, Peter, James, and John. Peter's the guy that said, Jesus, no matter what you go through, I will, I, will go, I, will, I will never deny you and I will die for you. If that's what it comes to, I'm ready to go to the grave with you. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And we see in this heart-wrenching story, and if you read it in the Bible, it, it, it is painful to read of Peter 
pronouncing three times that he does not know Jesus. And here, Jesus is in his most vulnerable hour, and Peter denies that he even knows him. And so Jesus is making a statement. The the Word of God, I think God is making a statement with chapter 21 because the restoration of Peter is so important to God. That we don't just have the ending of the story, but we have the restoration of this man's heart. Peter the denier, his restoration was important to Jesus. Chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Look, he's alive. They know he's alive. But Peter's feeling really, really painful right now. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat but they caught nothing all night. Do you see a a theme going on here? Remember when Jesus called the disciples, they were out fishing and they weren't catching anything? At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your nets on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the, disciples, the, the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. I love that, uh, it just if we could stop right there, I love this little text here. John wrote this book, and he's talking about himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. Isn't that cool? You know that you can say that about yourself? I'm the one that Jesus loves. This is not arrogance. This is a confidence that he had, and he's writing the story. You know, you can see him just writing, and he's like, He could have said, John, the disciple Jesus loved. That's what I'm going to call myself. Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. You know, you just have a mindset of, I don't know what's going to happen right now, but I've got to be near him. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net into the shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Here's Jesus, the resurrected Lord, cooking them breakfast. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. When Jesus served them the bread and the fish, when then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify 
he would glorify God. Did you hear that? The kind of death that he would glorify God. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter says, I'm going fishing. The rest of the guys that he was with went with him. Fishing was what he knew before Jesus had called him. This is my old life. This is the old way of doing things. It's the old pattern. I know that part of my life. And I've just denied the man three times, and so this disqualifies me completely, so I'm going back to fishing. Imagine what he was going through, that he had felt that he had let Jesus down. I promise I wouldn't deny him, and yet I did. But he wasn't the only one. They all scattered and left Jesus alone. Have you ever denied Jesus by the choices that you've made? Have you ever said, I'll never do that again, or Jesus, I'll never do that, and then you find yourself and you do it again and again? And so Jesus comes to these guys. He's risen, and they're glad that he's risen, but it's still a dark time for Peter's heart. Peter the denier out in the boat, and Jesus is on the shore, and he yells out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? I love that he calls them friends again. You know, you, in, in the justice side of our heart, we're not going to call them friends. We, we might think of something else that we would like to call them. Hey, deniers, have you caught anything? Hey guys, remember when you said you weren't going to go? And he could have thrown all kinds of accusations at them. And here's Jesus on the shore saying, friends, have you caught anything? Of course, they hadn't recognized him yet. And, and he says, they, they said, no, we, we, we haven't caught anything. And he says this, cast your nets to the other side. And they caught fish. And then all of a sudden the light bulb goes on because... They remember when he first called him. It is the Lord. We remember him. Even with that statement, he was still calling them to be fishers of men. And Peter can't take it anymore. It's the Lord. And so he dives out into the water and he swims to shore. And can you imagine when he's swimming? And you know, he's about 100 yards from the shore and he's swimming with all of his might. And you're thinking, I wonder what's going to happen. Why is Jesus up there? And then he has this moment with Jesus after they have breakfast. Peter, do you love me more than these? More than your old way? More than your old patterns? It's easy just to go back to what you know. It's easy to go back to those things that are so you're so comfortable with. The old patterns of life. And you know what Jesus was asking him if you study what the actual language is is, is, is Jesus says this to him because, you know, it's interesting that Peter had denied him three times and Jesus says this, Peter, you know, we just say, you know, we just see it and it says, Peter, do you love me? He said, Peter, do you self-sacrificially lay your life down kind of love, love me? You know, and it was obvious with Peter's choices that he hadn't loved Jesus that way. And so Peter's response is this. Jesus says, do you self-sacrificially love me? That's agape. Do you, uh, do you lay down your life kind of love, love me? 
And here's what Peter says to him. Lord, you know that I phileo love you. You know I have a fond affection kind of love for you. And he was making a confession there. He was saying, you got me. Jesus asked him again, do you, do you self-sacrificially lay down your life kind of love, love me, Peter? Peter says, you know, I've had a fond affection of you. you you've been my buddy. It's obvious I only loved you fondly like a buddy for, for what you could do for me. You were only a friend and not Lord. My relationship with you was based on how you could help me. Then the third time, Jesus says this, Peter, do you phileo? Are you fondly affectionate with me? And that's when it says Peter is hurt, and he says, yes, Lord, that, that's how I've loved you. But you notice something about the exchange that is so beautiful. Each time, Jesus says, do you self-sacrificially love me? Lord, I fondly, I had a fond affection for you. Jesus said, that does not disqualify. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. There's still a calling on your life. And see, in this exchange, Peter was admitting, yeah, I've only loved you like a buddy. I've only loved you like a friend. I have not really laid my life down kind of love for you. But Jesus was saying, now we're getting somewhere. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. You're still called. You're still chosen. You are growing, Peter. Now you are growing to agape love me. And he even ends that saying, you will lay your life down for me because you're getting it now. There's a revelation getting in your heart right now. And he says there are going to be times when there's going to be a time in your life where somebody's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And it says this about that. It says he was indicating of how Peter was going to die to bring glory to Jesus. You will die for me because you're growing in love for me. And then he says those words that he originally said to him three years before, follow me. You are still called. You are still chosen. Although you denied me, that does not disqualify you from what I've called you to do. You are still a fisher of men. And I love you. And you will love me. And we know the story that Peter was crucified upside down for Jesus. Because he said, I'm not worthy to die like my master. So crucify me upside down. And he was crucified on an upside down cross. And he gave his life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Although he denied Jesus, Peter wasn't finished. He repented and Jesus restored him. How many of you guys have a GPS system with your vehicle? Raise your hand. Or have you ever used one? One of the greatest inventions known to mankind. I don't have one personally, but I tell you, when we, were, when we went to the convention, I got one for the car, the little rental car, the Charger. Remember that? Um, that was fun. Um, and I tell you, I love those things. In a big city where you don't know where you're at, I don't think I would need one around here. If you need one around here, you, you, you're either not from here or you really have a bad sense of direction. Because I used to use MapQuest. MapQuest on some of my trips has been of the devil. 
I'm just going to say that. Um, you can ask my wife, we have got MapQuest directions and you're looking for a place and it doesn't exist. Or it says it's on the right side and it's on the left side. Have you ever been there? And it wasn't 0.8 miles. It was more like 3.8. And you were driving around in circles and if you get lost with MapQuest, you are in trouble. But the cool thing about a GPS is if you miss your turn, it starts recalculating for you. It recalculates and it finds where you're at. It redirects you and says, we're still going to get you to your destination. You're just off track for, for a little bit. And it recalculates and it gives you another way to get there. God is a GPS and he's not MapQuest. Hallelujah. When we get off and we make bad decisions and we deny him, we doubt, we make poor decisions, and we get off the path just like Peter. Peter felt like, I, am, I have taken this horrible, horrible exit, and I am in the middle of no man's land. And so out there in the middle of no man's land, I'm just going to go back to what I've always known, and all hope is gone. Forget it. I've denied him, and there's no way. And Jesus comes and says, I'm going to reroute you. I'm going to redirect your steps. Because I still have a plan for your life. If you will repent and if you will surrender your life to me, I will redirect you, recalculating your life, redirect you and get you back where you need to go. That is the kind of God we serve. GPS is, is merciful. When you get off the beaten path, it recalculates you and shows you the way. He can still get us to where we need to be even if we've made a wrong turn. But today, that only comes when we lay our lives down and we say, Lord, God, forgive me. And just like Peter, Lord, I've, I've, I've had a fond affection of you. I've treated you like a buddy. My relationship is based on my circumstances. I've told you how it's going to go down instead of letting you lead me. My happiness, my joy, and my content, contentment has been based on my circumstance instead of in you. And when we come to that conclusion and we come to that revelation with the Lord, he will direct our steps. The resurrection was not an event. It is a person, Jesus Christ. Is he alive in you today? Is he alive in your heart today? If not, there is no greater day than today to say, Lord, come once again into my heart, to my life. Are you a doubter? Are you a denier? Do you have a fond affection for him instead of a self-sacrificial love for him? He is here today and he is alive. And he wants to come in and give us life like we've never known before. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are alive. Lord, today we set aside this day and, and, and we, we call it Easter Sunday and we celebrate, but Lord, it is more than a religion. It is more than a ritual. It's more than a little hoop that we go through every year and say, well, that not that nice and isn't that sweet? There was nothing sweet about the cross. It was brutal. It was awful. 
And yet you endured it for us to have relationship with us. The only thing sweet about it is your love for us, oh God. We can definitely say that that's sweet. But Lord, we come before you today, God, and we are just saying, God, we fall on your mercy today. I pray for each person in this room. I pray, God, that wherever they're at with you, Lord, that, that each one of us in a new way would say, starting today, I am going to surrender and give up control of my life to Jesus. Lord, because we've all been guilty. We're like Thomas. We doubt. We put our conditions on you. And just like Thomas said, and the only way I'm going to believe is if I get to see this, this, and this. And well, Lord, we, we confess we've lived that way. I'll be happy if he'll do this for me. I'll be content if he'll do that for me. Lord, we are like the two guys on the road to Emmaus who have said, well, we hope that he was the Messiah. Lord, we've lived that way. You didn't come through for us, and we had hoped that, yeah, we had hoped that this was going to happen, and my circumstances were going to change, and I prayed, and nothing happened, and I had hoped that he was going to, well, I guess he's not really in control. And Lord, we just confess that sometimes we scoff at your sovereignty, but Lord, you are in control no matter what. And Lord, we have been like Peter, and we've denied you by our choices. We've sinned when we've chosen our own way to live. We've denied you by our actions. Lord, we've even confessed with our mouth, but Lord, our lives live a different thing and we, we live differently with our lives. God, please forgive us. And Lord Jesus, I believe that you're standing here today as the risen Christ, just like you stood before Peter and you're looking at each heart today and you're saying, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. I have a calling for your life. There is a purpose of why you're alive. And no matter where you're at with the Lord, there is a plan and a purpose and a destiny that's on your life. The way you find it is a surrendered life to Him.